This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season, we bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together like-minded organizations who are focused on making disciples. Our goal in all of this is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. Now, you're about to hear a session from the Bonhoeffer Project, and one of the major emphases in disciple-making from the Bonhoeffer Project is helping you hone your understanding of the gospel that Jesus preached so that you can better follow Jesus and make disciples of Jesus in light of the gospel. They are clear-minded about false gospels out there and how those false beliefs affect disciple-making efforts. Their message is, get your gospel right before you're able to rightly make disciples. That's how they approach discipleship in general. Well, they've given discipleship.org a primer to the book that the founder of the Bonhoeffer Project, Bill Hull, wrote. It's called The Discipleship Gospel, and he wrote it with Ben Sobels. And by the way, it's a discipleship.org book, so you can download the free primer to this book at discipleship.org slash ebooks and search for The Discipleship Gospel Primer by Bill Hull and Ben Sobels. Today we're featuring an episode from the Bonhoeffer Project called the Planning Implementation Gap, featuring the Bonhoeffer Project team. Enjoy the listen. All right, brothers and sisters, if you can come on in, we'll go ahead and get started. What session number is this? What breakout number is this? Five. Congratulations, you've you've survived. Uh, And we are humbled that out of all the offerings that are here, and I'm, I'm sincere in this because I would love to be able to have the time to go and sit and, 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 and soak up uh, what God is doing in these other ministry organizations that are all focused on disciple making. I don't, I don't think there's another gathering like this uh, in the country or anywhere else that I'm aware of where so many people, uh, you know, yes, we have different banners and different names, but we partner with, with each other. We don't care who gets the credit. It's all about King Jesus, and that's not just a cliche, okay? Uh, i give you a quick example. I had a gentleman uh, contact me online from Kenya. He serves in the largest slum in the entire world, and he wanted to, he wanted to be a part of the Bonhoeffer Project and uh, to help uh, affect the, the people of that slum. And knowing a little bit about cross-cultural ministry, because I'm a part of a mission-sending organization as well, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm honored that you think that we can help you, and we could help you. It's going to take a while, because if you go through our cohort process, it's, it's 9, 10, 11 months, about a year. It, it just You have to trust the process. It's, it's not a fast one. And I said, but I know, I know another ministry uh, disciple-making organization who already has people in your area. And so I connected him, uh, never heard back from him again, <laughs> but I heard from the man that I connected him with and uh, they were helping them. So we're all in this together, okay? Uh, and I mean that, but uh, we're honored that you've chosen to be a part of our, our final uh, breakout today. Uh, just very quickly, hopefully you got a card and if you filled it out, uh, if you've been here before, all you need is your name on it, unless you've already got three books, because <laughs> we're going to give away some books at the end, okay? But if you'll pass them over to the third base side of the room from, from where I'm standing, please, uh, to your right, 
And the podcast, you have some information on Bill's uh, podcast. It's the Bonhoeffer Show. And we'd love for you to, to subscribe to that on iTunes or whatever your favorite pod vehicle is. And if you would like more information on being a part of our cohort, because what we do is uh, this is not just a one, one time or a weekend uh, training session. In the Bonhoeffer Project, you join a community of disciple-making leaders. Uh, they start out as leaders, most of them, and then they become disciple-making leaders after the 10 months. We have 10 sessions. And the, the map of that, if you will, is on a sheet of paper that's at the door. Jen, do we still have some of these? Yes, okay. You can pick one up on your way out. It gives you a list of the ones that we've already committed to, the areas of the country and around the world that we've already committed to for, for 2020. We, we strive to have about uh, at least uh, five to eight, uh, seven or eight people in a cohort because we don't want it too big because we, it's all about uh, getting involved in, in each other's area of, of context of ministry. And we want you to uh, gain the most, most as you can, okay? And then finally, uh, I've got in my hand what is at the table, and it is a list of the cohorts, it, 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 uh, the cohort uh, uh, curriculum, uh, what the topics are for each of the 10 cohorts, okay? So how many of you are here for the first time? That's going to help us for the first time. Okay, thank you. We, uh, we pray that uh, your previous sessions have been fruitful for you and meaningful, and uh, that you've really, they've had a great impact on your life. And it's my privilege today, I'm Denny Heiberg, I'm one of the national leadership team, and Cindy Perkins, who is also on the national leadership team and our director of operations, we're both going to be sharing in this particular session on the the gap between uh, having a plan and then implementing it, okay? Uh, putting it, putting it into practice. And so hopefully uh, the Lord's going to guide us in this. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for all that you have accomplished thus far, and we pray for every speaker around this campus right now. Would you inspire, would you uh, empower and anoint every woman and man who will be speaking? And we pray that as we gather in, in just an hour or so from now in the, uh, in the sanctuary as as a body of, of disciple-making leaders, that you would inspire us to leave this campus differently than when we arrived, even though we've, we've, we've been exposed to so much insight and truth. We pray that you'd help our minds to, to capture it and, uh, Lord, gr- just drive it into our, to our hearts, sear our hearts with your passion for the world. And so we thank you for these who are before us. Speak to our hearts now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. The Bonhoeffer uh, Project is named after Dietrich Bonhoeffer for this reason. We believe that he is one of the the most vivid representations of obedience-based discipleship. Uh, As we heard a number of times from the platform yesterday, are you willing to pledge your allegiance to King Jesus for the rest of your life, no matter what it costs, no exceptions, no excuses. Uh, that was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And so in his honor, and if you've read The Cost of Discipleship, anybody read that? Uh, powerful book. It's changed so many lives. 
Uh, you can't get it in one sitting or one read. You have to read it over and over. But what insight God gave this, this young man. And it cost him his life eventually. But he was a pastor and he was a disciple maker. And for five years, he ran a seminary. And half of that time, it had to go underground because of uh, what the Nazis found out about him. But he, he led about 21 uh, men in a disciple-making environment, and a book came out of that experience called Life Together. And perhaps some of you have, have read that as well. But we, we want to continue the legacy that he has lived and in, in, in led uh, during his life. And so we come together in groups, uh, small groups, men, women. Uh, some are exclusively for women uh, for, for various reasons, but uh, we... We embrace all of you to be a part of that. And what this does is over the 10 months, 10 to 11 months, we will take a person who's, who's yearning to be a disciple-making leader, and we will help you to, to reflect on some things. And so I'm going to use this graphic behind me to kind of guide us. First of all, we talk about the gospel. And if you haven't been with us, the reality is that there are many gospels out there today, just as there were in the first century. There's the, the forgiveness only gospel, which says you can pray a prayer, raise your hand, receive your ticket to heaven when you take your last breath on earth. But it's not really about following Jesus. In fact, there is a virus. It's a toxic virus from the pit of hell that has permeated our culture that says this, you can become a Christian without following Jesus. You can become a Christian without following Jesus. And the privilege that I have, not only in this country, but in other countries, in going and sharing about disciple-making and what discipleship to Jesus really looks like, I have found that in every context, that virus has affected them. Uh, Bill Hull the co-founder of the Bonhoeffer Project, calls all of these other false gospels the gospel Americana, the consumer gospel, uh, the prosperity gospel, the gospel of the, of the right or the left, and then, and then of course, the, the forgiveness-only gospel. All of those gospels that have some truth in them but are tainted and polluted with toxic doctrine. And so we begin with the gospel uh, we start out the first two months, really, and, and, and we never leave it, but we, we drill deep into what is the gospel that Jesus proclaimed because the gospel that you believe determines the kind of disciple you will make. If you plant an orange seed into the ground, that's the tree that will emerge. If you plant a mango seed in the ground, that's the the fruit tree that will emerge. If you plant a non-discipleship gospel, in other words, any kind of gospel that says discipleship is optional. Uh, Y'all have heard the term bait and switch. Uh, when my wife and I uh, were engaged, uh, I worked at a, a little roadside amusement park uh, outside of Orlando. You may have heard of it, uh, Walt Disney World. Uh, I, I worked for Disney for seven years, and when we began dating, I was 
the regional sales manager for the convention division of Walt Disney World, which meant I got to <laughs> wine and dine all these VPs and meeting planners and CEOs to try to sell Disney's uh, facilities. Cindy thought she was going to marry, and she did marry a Walt Disney World executive, and I was planning to retire there. Two years after we got married, we found ourselves down to one car, a Pinto. Do you all remember what a Pinto is? A pale blue Pinto. And we were living in a mobile home on a, on a Bible college campus. Brothers and sisters, that's called bait and switch. <laughs> she thought she was marrying a, uh, a Disney executive, but she ended up marrying a, a Bible college student who then became a, a youth pastor and a pastor. The reason I use that illustration is, uh, in my tribe of the United Methodist Church, people hear a number of gospels. In fact, it just depends really on the pastor, what kind of gospel he or she is proclaiming. But in my case, when I came to, when I was appointed to a Methodist church, and in our tradition, we are sent. We just simply receive the, the appointment that we are given, and we go to a particular church. So we inherit a group of people who have heard many gospels. And it really doesn't depend on, on the way the system works, but you're standing in front of, on most Sundays, those of you who are in that context, or you're sitting among people on the weekend that have a variety of, of insights and understandings of the gospel. And they would be hard-pressed to really define it. And so people would come up to me as they were hearing the gospel that I was presenting, and I was in this church for 18 years before I stepped down to join a mission-sending organization, and, and this is what they would say. Uh, I never heard this. And, and some would say, I, I, I didn't sign up for this. Now, regardless of what your tradition is, do you all understand what I'm saying? That we have heard a variety of gospels. And so to, to validate my point, the third Sunday the third Monday that I was at the last church I, I served, a woman with great influence, and she was a dear friend of ours, uh, at least I thought so, and she was. She came into my secretary's office, and I could take you to the place on the carpet where I was standing when she said this to me. It was that vivid. It's never left me. She said, Denny, and she grew up in the Methodist church. Her mother played the organ for years, and she... She was at the church all her life, and she was then about 50 or 60 years old. And she said, Denny, I've heard you preach now for three weeks, and I know you believe what you preach. But what is this Jesus is Lord business? Now, if you think about it a moment, what was happening was the Holy Spirit of God was working in her life, and she was wrestling, if this is true, then this has implications, yes, for my life. And so I took a breath. I didn't 
go, what? <laughs> I took a breath, prayed a brief prayer in my head like Nehemiah did. <laughs> and I said, you know, I am humbled that you would ask me this question. And I took a chance and I said, I sense the Holy Spirit of God is, is speaking to you. And so we had a conversation briefly there. And then uh, the reality is she ended up leaving eventually. I don't think it was in the first year or two, but she ended up leaving. People come into our churches and into our, our lives that have heard a, a different gospel than the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. And so we spend two to three months drilling down and, and looking at, at what is the gospel that Jesus proclaimed? Jesus is the king. He is the Christ. You know that Christ is not his last name, right? It means that he is the anointed one of God, the king, and he has come to bring the essence of the kingdom with him. And he's calling all of us to make disciples of the king who make disciples of the king. And so we talk about the why. Why do we make disciples? Not only because he commanded us and called us and commissioned us, but because the gospel demands that we do it. The gospel that Jesus proclaimed. And then we talk about the what. We try to bring clarity to what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be in a discipling relationship, what it means to be a church, and what is the core mission of the church. We we help you, as we look at Scripture and as we give you some assignments, we help you to understand what, what is a disciple and what does it mean to be in a discipling relationship with others. And then we talk about the plan, and that's really what we're going to focus on today and how to implement that and why we should do it, okay? If you were in a cohort, uh, Ed, you're, you're one of them. Anybody else in here who's been in a cohort besides... City me? Okay, we've got a number of you. Uh, at the end of the 10 sessions, you will have struggled with, <laughs> you will have spent hours on putting together a contextualized, customized plan of action. We call it a disciple, a discipleship flow process. In other words, this is not a plug and play uh, cohort experience, but you're going to design it as we guide you. The way I put it is this. We give you the building materials, okay? You design it according to your context, whether you're on the mission field overseas, whether you're here in this mission field in the States, whether you're in a, in a local church. Uh, one of the gentlemen that went through the process uh, with me the first time that I went through it, he was a, uh, a doctor of pharmacy at a VA hospital. Did he have a context of ministry? Well, uh, yes, within the hospital, he had colleagues. But what he did was he took what he learned and he designed a process for men in the community within his church and outside of his church to come together. And he's in his now fourth year and they have 70 men this year. They have 70 men in groups of 10 who meet uh, together once a month, but during the month, they meet one-on-one -on -one with each other. And so whatever your context is, uh, the Bonhoeffer Project 
can help you to become a disciple-making leader. And so you will come out with a plan. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to renew your mind, uh, as Scripture says, to what the true gospel is. We're trying to illuminate and change your heart to understand what uh, a disciple is. And then we want to change your, your life, your behavior, your action, your habits. And we want you to become a disciple-making leader. So that's kind of an overview of, of what we do. And so I'm going to ask, uh, yeah, we, I've already talked about all that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask uh, Cindy to come on up. Cindy? Cindy Perkins is our director of operations. At least today you are. You might, you might have a different title tomorrow. Who knows? Who knows what God's going to call and uh, do in that space. And uh, I'm learning to be obedient. I've not always been entirely obedient. Anybody out there with me? Not always been entirely obedient This to is God. being recorded, you know. I know. I have to confess occasionally. <laughs> scripture says it's good for the soul. And I've been sick. And he, uh, Scripture says if there's any sick among you, go confess your sins to one another. So... Let me confess so I won't be sick anymore. So, no. Um, one of the things that we wanted to talk with you guys about and, and help you to understand is the implementation phase. I'm a conference junkie. By the way, can I just say, I don't know that I would have admitted ever owning a Pinto. Can, can I just say that? Because, like, I grew up in the Pinto age. Or was it a Bobcat? Oh, both. Both. Oh, both. But we had to get rid of one. Okay. I owned a Thunderbird about that time, so just so you know. It's the cost of discipleship. <laughs> it is the cost of discipleship. I will tell you, I wasn't following Jesus then, so I had not made that cost uh, decision. So um, Eugene Peterson says that Christianity, and in particular discipleship, is a long obedience in the same direction. And I think sometimes we forget that. I think we expect that, that uh, everything's going to move quickly. And so as we, uh, as we learn things, I, I would go to conferences. I love this conference setting because we get to network and meet new people. Um, long before I ever started working with the Bonhoeffer Project, I have been a conference junkie. Like I went to the Catalyst Conference for how many years, Carm? Ten? Ten years in a row. Um, we've, I've been to Exponential since Exponential started. I, I just love the conference setting and, and the learning and the processing of new ideas and, and uh, causing me to think differently than I thought before. The difficulty comes when I go back home. So I have soaked in this space, right? And now I'm going back home to a group of people who have not soaked in this space. And so God has spoken to me in some very deep and profound ways at every conference I've ever been to. And I go back home and I have to try to convince the others. The same thing happens when we step into discipleship. Um, God began to work on me about eight or 10 years ago on the fact that if we don't disciple in the church, the church is going to die because we're not doing, we're not being obedient that long obedience turned into a short obedience turned into no obedience. And sometimes it's very difficult to get the people around you who are steeped, like Denny was saying, uh, the lady that says, what's this uh, Jesus is Lord stuff, right? And so there are people around us that don't want to hear that because the cost is obedience. 
and so we go back and we we step into that zone of um, of difficulty, that zone of pushback. We're going to get some pushback in that space. Um, as I went through the Bonhoeffer cohort myself, uh, developed, I was uh, actually the spiritual journey pastor at the church where I was attending, and so discipleship fell under my umbrella, and. I got so excited because we created a plan that I felt like was going to be a working plan. And I went back and I'm not the decision maker. How many of you in here are the decision makers in your church? Okay. So uh, I'm speaking to both groups of people, but understand that those of you who are not the decision makers, I know what you're going to hit. All right. So I hit a wall. Um, My pastor had not been steeped in these things. And I love my pastor, so don't, don't hear me say I don't love him, but we have a very different ministry philosophy where discipleship is concerned. And I, I believe that there has to be an intentionality uh, in what we do and how we do it in order for people to be able to replicate that. Um, so it creates that, that dynamic when we step back in that we're intentional in that space. And when I went back, my pastor did not share that thought process and and that heartbeat or that ministry philosophy. It really is a difference in ministry philosophies. And some of you will have heard things this week that you say, I know that is from God. And you're going to go back and you're going to hit that wall. And so let me encourage you to remember that Eugene Peterson says, it is a long obedience in the same direction. I also uh, want to share a scripture or two with you about that because these are the things that have kept me from being discouraged to the point of giving up. Um, I did leave church staff, not because I was upset with church staff, but because God called me to a local college to teach at a college and set up a discipleship process there. And I knew it was the right moment in that space. I am still serving at my church, just not in the same capacity. So Um, and and discipleship is moving. There is a team of, I think we brought 14 from our church here this week. So, so God is still doing what God does, uh, with or without Cindy. And that's the beauty of what, what's happening in the world. But Colossians one, um, beginning in verse nine says, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. Um. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. I think the number one thing when we step into the implementation phase for us to remember is he is king, I am not, right? And so he wants discipleship. This is his command. This is his desire. And if I hit, if I hit walls, if I think that 
that it should go this way and it doesn't go this way. It goes this way instead. I need to be obedient. But I also need to be surrounded with a group of people who will pray this for me. That will pray that I have spiritual wisdom and knowledge in the space where I need to have that. And sometimes the spiritual wisdom is for me to just step back and hush or in my head, shut up, right? Just to, to stop and be and pray. I will tell you that the implementation phase must be bathed first in prayer. Agreed, Denny? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Uh, you've, as I was hearing Cindy, you know, the stakes are very high. And, and it's, I don't know how many of you are from Nashville or you've, this is your first time, but my wife and I just moved up here uh, just north of Nashville uh, two years ago. And I learned very quickly that Nashville has some nicknames. Okay. What's the most popular nickname for Nashville? Somebody. Music City USA is probably the most popular one. The next one is Nash Vegas. Okay. Because of Broadway Street, it's kind of a mini Las Vegas. There's another one. It's called the buckle of what? Of the Bible belt. Now, it's also called, it's all, and it's, the reason it's called the buckle of the Bible belt is because there are over 700 churches, 700 churches in the Nashville area. And it also says the most per capita of any other city. Now, I don't know if that's true today or not, but it was true a few years ago. But I want to show you something that I've got here on the, on the whiteboard. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, Ed Stetzer and Warren Bird did a survey of churches throughout the United States of America, and they divided them up into five levels, okay? Level one churches were churches that were in decline or subtracting. In other words, they were, they were going down. To use, uh, let me use a naval uh, image here. These churches were sinking, okay? Level one churches were declining or subtracting in terms of, of people being in, in a part of their community, and they were sinking. Then level two, they were, simply, they were simply plateauing or sustaining, okay? They were, they were anchored, you might say, or they were drifting is probably a better term. They, they had no vision to, to increase uh, in terms of reaching other people for Jesus. Now, here's the bad news. Out of 350-some thousand churches in America, 80% of them are right here. 80% of them are in level one and level two. Level three churches were those who were churches of addition, okay? These would be boats that just had more people on them and more people and more people, okay? They were growing in their own attendance. They may have had to ha even have multiple services, but all the leadership was, was being maintained right here in their own church. So they were adding. Confession, this, this level is the church that, that I ended up pastoring. When I came, it was here, and I only got to take it to here. I didn't have the insights that I do now, on how to get to level four and level five. But this church is the church of addition, and it's 16% 16, 16 of the churches in America. So you got 80% here, 16% here, and these are churches that are reproducing, 
okay? They would have multiple sites, perhaps, multiple services, and even plant other churches, reproducing churches. That would mean that more boats would come alongside them. But they were somewhat tethered to the mother ship, all right? 4% of America is in this category. So if you're, if you're good at math, 80, 16, and 4, that comes to what? 100%. Level 5 is churches that multiply. There's less than 1% that they could find in the USA that are truly multiplying churches. Now, what's the difference between this and this? A multiplying church would give birth to a church. That church would give birth to a church. That church would give birth to a church. Okay? They would, they would multiply in less than, truly less than five, uh, less than 1%. Now, do you all remember the very first three commands that are recorded in this book from God to, to his, his creatures? Be fruitful and multiply and fill. All very vivid imagery. And then what does Jesus tell us to do in John 15? He said, You'll, people will know you're my disciples by what? Not only by your love for one another, by you are bearing much fruit. He's told us to go into all the world, right? That doesn't happen by drifting into it. Uh, you have to have a plan and you have to implement, right, Cindy? Uh, you, have to, you have to put this, and that takes work. I was, uh, I, I had the privilege of going, I, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but I had the privilege of going to a, a strong Bible college and then four years of an of a, of a evangelical, mission-minded seminary. But I was never taught, number one, at least I didn't understand the kingdom gospel, as I've tried to share with you a few moments ago, or perhaps you heard in depth in our other breakouts. But I was never taught that Jesus had a plan. Now, I don't think he walked around and had to look at his iPhone uh, to check his notes to see if he was doing it correctly, but he had a strategy. And, the, and that strategy was to spend the majority of his time with a few people and poured his life into them, right? Uh, for those three, three and a half years. I, I want to take you to one of my favorite passages in the, in the Bible. It's in John, John 17. Would you, would you go there with me, please? Because I, I don't have this on a screen. John 17. Does anybody, does anybody have a, a heading in their head that comes to mind when you hear John 17? What, what, is that, what is that passage about? Yeah, it's really his prayer, the Lord's prayer, right? The real Lord's prayer to the Father right before he, he is uh, taken into custody. Now, I know that you're familiar with, I would imagine you're familiar with uh, verse 3, that this is the way to have eternal life, to really know, know him, okay? To know the, the, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Now, verse 4 is where I want to take us. In, in this translation, it says this, 
I brought glory to you here on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Uh, would someone else read it in another translation, please? Just raise your hand and I'll, I'll please. All right, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Anybody else got a different uh, way that it's, that it's written? Finishing the work you gave me to do. Okay, here's my question, brothers and sisters. As you know, he hasn't died yet. He hasn't gone to Golgotha yet. What was he talking about when he said, I've accomplished, I've finished, I have completed the work you gave me to do? Training his disciples. Now, were the, uh, Leo, were they perfect yet? Uh, no, no, they... They, uh, they, they were encouraging examples to all of us. <laughs> okay, that's a, that's a good line. Yeah. Now, I have read the commentaries. Otherwise, I wouldn't, I wouldn't share this with a group of people, especially when it's being recorded. I've read the commentaries, and the vast majority of them will say this, that Jesus was talking about the cross, but he, he just wasn't there yet. It was certain. And I, I, and I know Luke 9.51, that he, he set his face to Jerusalem like a flint. He was resolved to go. I, I get that. But one thing I learned in Bible college that I've never forgotten is this, that context is king. Somebody else has heard that. So I want you to go to verse 6. He says, I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. What did Jesus do with those 12 men? He revealed the Father to them. You know, John 1.18, which is not as familiar as John 3.16, says this, For no one has seen God, but God, the only begotten one, depending on your translation, the unique one, the begotten one, who is near to the Father's heart, he has made him known. He has explained him. He has revealed him. Now, I hope that this verse, you'll never forget this. If Cindy and I sat up here and we didn't say words to you, but we thought what we were going to say, but we didn't, no, no voice came over our vocal cords and our mouth didn't open. Could we say that that would be a little bit awkward, just a tad, and you would one by one eventually leave? You can't see our thoughts. Our thoughts are invisible, right? What do our words do for our thoughts? Our words make our thoughts visible. They describe, they explain, uh, they reveal Jesus is saying that, uh, John is saying this about the Lord Jesus, that he, Paul says it clearly in Colossians 1.15, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the, according to the author of Hebrews, the exact representation of his nature. He is the king and only the, only God can truly reveal God. And so for those years of his life, He says, I have revealed you, 
I have explained to you God, I have explained the Father to my, to my disciples. And then verse 8. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. You know, discipleship, in essence, is passing on to another person what God has poured, in, poured into your life. He, he passed on the very message of, of, of Jesus, uh, of, of the Father to his disciples. That was the work that he accomplished. But as Leo said, no, they weren't perfect yet, but they, they give us a lot of hope. And unless you have a plan, brothers and sisters, of how that's going to happen, you're going to go back. You're going to have these notes. I've done this. I'm guilty of this. I take great you know, notes that I, can, I read, and sometimes I even type them back out on my computer, my laptop. But what happens when you get back to the church, you back to your office, back to your context of ministry? You get, you get derailed, you, the gravitational force of the urgent it just takes you right off track. But Jesus had a plan. He started out with come and see. There was that period of some four to eight months where he allowed these men to, to investigate him, to, to observe him. And then the next phase, as we discovered in the Bible, is come and follow me. Come and learn from me. And then come and be with me when he chose the 12 to serve with him. He, he had a plan, but he implemented that plan. And all the forces of hell, brothers and sisters, will keep you from, it's risky, but it, it'll keep you from implementing this plan. Denny, can I add yeah. too from this passage, I think one of the important pieces that we see is that Jesus said, I've done this with the ones you gave me. Right. And so I think for us, it's a very important piece for us to understand. Yes, this may eventually be implemented church wide. Um, we hope it's implemented as a movement that we can can help the world understand that Jesus is king. But the bottom line is each one of us in this room has probably half a dozen people that God has specifically put in front of us that we are to teach them and help them know Jesus mm. like we know mm. Jesus. We have to make sure first that we're walking in that place with Christ, that we are, are tending to our own souls to make sure that we have something to share with them, mm. that we are constantly in, in relationship with Christ because it's more than a program. It's always more than a program. It was for Jesus and it is for us. But as we, Paul says, you follow me as I follow Christ. So I'm going to follow Christ and y'all come on with me and let me teach you. Let me help you. Let me show you how to love Jesus the way he wants us to love him. Let me show you how to be obedient to him for a lifetime, not just for six weeks that this program lasts. And so I want you to be encouraged that in the midst of this place, when you step back into your context, whatever that is, wherever you sit in the chain, whether you're a lay person who is here because God said you need to go and you're, why am I here? Right? I get that a lot. Mm. When I talk to people, I don't even know why I'm here. Well, okay, but God does. He knows why you're here because he knows that there are some people that he has placed in your life that he wants you to be instrumental in helping them walk along. Mm. So you start there. Uh, in, where I come from in West Virginia, I live in Tampa now, but I grew up 
um, in West Virginia in a small town, but we always said bloom where you're planted. Mm -hmm. And so if this is where you're planted with the people that you're planted with, how are you going to make a difference in their lives by bringing them closer to Christ? And from there, that's how, that's how the movement started. Jesus took 12, right? Sometimes I think we have in our world of numbers, I think we have these grandiose ideas of what we should be doing and how many people we should be ministering to. And, and in the midst of it all, God says the one matters to him Amen. and the three matter to him and the 12 matter to him. And my theory is if he took 12 and only 12, I should probably stop there, right? Because I am not Jesus, mm-hmm. nor will am I going to be, right? And God may open the door for you to disciple more because of your time and your space in life. I'm an empty nester. I have time. It's part of my job in a couple of places, so I have more time. But step into that place where God has you and, and be encouraged to endure, and remember the long obedience. This is not a short-term deal. Yeah. You know, on the first Easter night, when the disciples, uh, minus, minus Judas, they were all behind locked doors and, and uh, windows and everything, uh, Jesus comes into the room without knocking on the door, right? Scares them out of their wits, First thing he says is, you know, peace, peace. Uh, but then he says something that he mentions uh, to the Father later in this prayer in John 17. He said, as the Father has, what, sent me, I'm sending you. So here's the question. How did the Father send Jesus? To save, to save us time. Let me share with you what I, what I think he was referring to. The Father sent Jesus incarnationally, right? The Word became flesh. Jesus made God visible. God is sending us incarnationally. It's all about relationships. We're, we're, we're taking the very presence of Christ and the kingdom of God into the lives of others. And as Cindy said, we, we have to be with them. Uh, one of the mantras that we share in the Bonhoeffer Project is when you start getting excited about this process and you see, you see these new insights and you begin to develop, to develop a disciple-making flow process, don't announce <laughs> to your church or your, your, your context of ministry what you're doing yet. Just, just, just start it. Just get with a, a few people and start... Start pouring into them the very presence of and life of Jesus. You don't announce the revolution. You just you just start it quietly, and then it will begin to multiply, and and you'll begin. I you're going to get pushback. You're you're gonna you're gonna have obstacles. You're gonna have people that will leave your church because they have heard one of these other gospels that says that discipleship is optional and that anything we do in our own, you know, anything we do is, is works righteousness. And we in the Bonhoeffer Project ascribe that we are saved by, by grace through faith, yes, but, 
but go a little bit deeper and realize that grace is not just to erase our guilt, but it's the very fuel that empowers a disciple to follow Jesus and to share his life uh, with other people. And so uh, you'll, you'll have all kinds of obstacles, but unless you have a strong why, should I do this? Unless you have that secured, you won't last. Uh, let me share a quick example with you. I had the privilege of serving uh, some tr- a church in, in Bolivia a number of years ago. And I was in, a, in a, a person's home with about 25 of their leaders. And even though they knew English, uh, I, he didn't, the, the, the owner of the home who was a part of this church, he didn't translate for me because they knew enough English. And so after about, I'd say 45 minutes, I had just covered kind of the, the core values of a disciple-making culture in church. Uh, he, he stopped me and he said, Denny, he said, I want you to hold up a moment. He says, I'm going to speak to my brothers and sisters in Spanish, and then I'm going to tell you what I just told them. So I said, okay. I thought, this is not in my notes. He's probably telling them I'm a heretic or something. So he spoke to them in Spanish, and then he turned to me and he says, I just told them, we know all this, but we're not doing it. And so I put my Bible down, <laughs> and I said, so... Tell me, what, where is the, uh, where's the gap? What, what, what is the gap? What's the barrier here? What's the, what's the problem? And I was asking them, not just the, the translator. And guys, can I just tell you, none of the men said a word. It was only the women in the room. The first woman said, we're just lazy. But the second woman said something that I'll never forget as well. And she said, uh, we just don't love Jesus enough. And I thought, uh, I need to hear this. You heard yesterday, you know, that Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And, you know, in that great commandment, a great commission in uh, passage, you know, it says before the usual verses that we read that they were there worshiping, but some had doubts, right? Some doubted. And we don't know exactly what that means. But I don't think they doubted when he said, make disciples. I don't think a bunch of question marks were above their heads because he had trained them, right? He was with them. And how does the book of Acts describe those, those guys? They were unlearned. But they were, they, had, they were known to be with Jesus. And so he told us, in fact, it's an imperative, as we discovered yesterday, that he will be with us until the job's done. And so I pray that uh, you won't get discouraged. That's what's so beautiful about this tribe. I thought it was crazy, you know. But when I started reading some of Bill's books, I thought, this is what I'm feeling, but I thought I was all alone, but th- you're not alone. There were, what, 1,800 people here yesterday that, that I believe most of them believe this stuff, that it's not optional, that it's, it's, it's our privilege, and it should be our desire to make Jesus, make the king famous. Cindy?
I want to leave you with just one scripture of encouragement. This encourages me. Hebrews chapter 6, in the second half of verse 9, actually verse 10, he says, uh, He will not forget how hard you've worked for him and how you've shown your love for him by caring for other believers as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Don't give up. He sees us. He sees the struggles. He sees the pieces that we don't know what to do with. Uh, He sees the walls that we hit. And he sees the people that he's put in front of us to love. So just keep moving forward one step at a time. That is Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. 10 through 12. So don't give up. He sees. Yeah. Let's pray. Father God, we just come to you, Lord, uh, humbled. Humbled that you chose us. Humbled that you love us. And Lord, really humbled that you trust us Hmm. to carry your message forward to the people Hmm. that you've put in front of us. Lord, don't let us miss that. Don't let us get tired and weary and sit. Keep us moving forward, Lord. Teach us how to care for our own souls so that others see that and follow us in that. (coughs) Father, show us the people that you would have um, for us, each one individually to minister to, and Lord, through that, a movement. Lord, help us to inspire them to keep moving forward as well mm-hmm. so that your kingdom will be made famous. Mm-hmm. And God, teach us what it means to be obedient to King Jesus Yes, in all that we do and in every place that we are. Thank you, God for every person sitting in this room. And I ask you, Lord, to just fill their hearts to the overflow with your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Mm. Amen. Mm. Amen. Amen. So, City, we're going to give away some books, I think. Okay. And uh, Gabe, I'm going to have you stick your hand in here since you are non-partial or you're not, yeah, you're non-partial to everybody except how many cards did you put in here? Six. Six of yours. (laughs) All right. Uh, is it Lee Peavy? Right back here, Cindy. Okay, very good. Congratulations, Lee. First time you won anything? Ah. <laughs> All right. Kim Volheim? Vol- Kim? Are you, Kim, are you here? You got to be present to win? No? Okay. All right. Maybe that was last, last times. Will? Brubecker, right here? Okay, super. Thanks for being here, Will. Matt Branham, Branham, right behind you, Cindy. Super. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, Thomas is counting on you, man. Luke Gibb, Luke, are you here? No? Okay. I think, I think, oh, you're right, Herb, Herb, sorry, partner, Sam Newman, 
over here. Is that the last one? All right, and Gabe, uh, Cindy, where are you? We got another book? Yeah, Gabe gets one, okay? Yeah, just go pick your own. Yeah. That her mama sent her. Okay, guys, we would love for you to consider a cohort. I've already given you the information about that. You just simply, you can go online and check with us. We've got some information at the table. God bless you. We'll be hanging around here a little bit, but I don't want you to to not get a seat because this is going to be a great session in the main auditorium. Okay, God bless you. Thanks for being here. That's it for today's episode. Make sure to download the Bonhoeffer Project Founders book and download the Discipleship Gospel Primer by Bill Hull and Ben Sobels. Go to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for the Discipleship Gospel Primer. Thanks for listening.